Lord, as we read the account of the woman that was taken in the very act of adultery, Lord, remind us that you are a second chance God. And Father, I thank you that you look beyond our faults and you see our needs. And I thank you for the the cleansing, healing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you that his mission was to seek and to save the lost, not to condemn. But, Father, help us to know that our sin, the sins of the world, cost Jesus his life on the cross. And that there is no other way to be forgiven except through his blood that was shed. And, Father, help us as a church not only to thank you and praise you for that love, but help us, Father, to share it with the world around us. As your Son did not come to judge, Lord, help us not to judge and to condemn, but to share and love others in your name. Speak through the Word of God this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you have your Bibles open to John uh, chapter 7, the very last verse, verse 53 through chapter 8, verse 11. All of us know this is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Acts chapter se- uh, John chapter 7, beginning with verse 53. They went each to his own house. We're going to tell you why that verse is added in, why that's so important. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such. What do you say about her? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the eldest. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus looked up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. Folks, there's a couple of notes that I want to give as background information to this passage of Scripture. The first one I feel compelled to share, and probably for many, and, and don't take this in an offensive way, probably many will say, Well, why did he even share that? If you are trying to learn and study the Word of God and study your Bible, you'll notice that these verses are kind of separated. There's a space between um, John 7.52 and 8.12. And if you have a study Bible, there's going to be some notes that basically say this, that most of the ancient authorities, the older Bible manuscripts, either leave this passage of Scripture out or they put it at another place. Now, I wanted to mention this, first of all, because someone might ask the question, is this a part of Holy Scripture? 
And my personal reply is yes, absolutely, positively. Some Bible scholars do not know if John himself wrote this. It sounds more like Luke might have written this. It sounds more like the vocabulary that Luke might have used. But whomever wrote this account of this woman and Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And the church of Christ over the years included this portion of Scripture. And if you have a Schofield Bible, regardless of what kind you've got, a Phillips translation, the Amplified Bible, every one of these make this note. But folks, most scholars agree that this is part of the inspired Word of God, and it is a fragment that authenticates all that Jesus did. And again, as you might be studying and reading your Bible, you might say, well, why do they put this note in here? Folks, again, I believe that this is a part of God's Word. It is an actual event, not only in the life of Jesus, but also in the life of this woman. And folks, here's what I want you to hear from what I've just said. What a Savior Jesus Christ is. He is absolutely unbelievable and incomparable. Folks, Let me tell you what's been going on in in the earlier part of John 7. Let me just read some of these verses to you, okay? And let me make this note. The Bible's full of people whom God gave second chances, and this is what we've been studying. Peter, the other disciples, Jonah. We studied for three weeks the woman at the well, and now believe this Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to look at this woman caught in the very act of adultery. But, folks, the second thing I wanted to tell you in preparation to understand this passage of Scripture, the hostility and rejection of Jesus is growing greater and greater among the Jews and, folks, even with his own family. And I'll point out what I mean by that. Folks, the background of what's going on here is a religious celebration. This happened during, it seems, the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, and that's in verse 2 of chapter 7. And again, please hang with me this morning, okay? The the Feast of the Tabernacles was one of the three great annual Jewish feasts. It was a time that commemorated how God delivered the people out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. And folks, that whole account uh, tells about the presence of God. As the people left Egypt and began to dwell in the desert, they lived in tents, but they knew that God was with them. They knew that God cared for them. They knew that God was leading them in the cloud and in the fire. And folks, these Jews were missing the point that the presence of Jesus is the presence of God. And you and I must never forget if Jesus is in our presence, we are in the presence of the living God. Folks, it would have been like revival time for the Jews as they remembered all that God had done for them. But folks, listen, they're missing it. They cannot see who Jesus is. And their hostility and their rejection of Christ is growing more and more. Just let me read parts of chapter 7 of John. Just listen, and we'll put these on the screen. The first five verses. After this, Jesus went into Galilee. He would not go into Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, folks, please look at this verse. The Jewish people were planning to kill this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 2. Now, the Jews' feast of the tabernacle was at hand. So his brothers said to him, now here's his brother's idea, not trying to put them down, Leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works that you're doing. In other words, you do this now for show, Jesus. Look at all these great things that you can do. 
For no man works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, sure yourself to the world. Now look at verse 5. For even his brothers did not believe in him. What a sad situation. His own people, the Jews, are seeking to destroy him. His own family do not believe and understand who Jesus is. In verse 12 of chapter 7, And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said he is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. So again, there's doubt as to who Jesus is. Look at verse 20. The people answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Folks, emotions are high about who Jesus is, and mainly they are rejecting him. Listen to verse 25. Some of the people in Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? Folks, word is out. They're trying to kill Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 30. So they sought to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not come. And then look at the latter part of of chapter 7, beginning with verse 40. And I'm setting the stage for where the story begins, okay? The Pharisees... Verse 40, I'm sorry, Steve, you're right. In verse 30 and 32, they seek to arrest him. Now look at uh, verse 32, they want the officers to arrest Jesus, okay? Let me tell you something, folks. I am so pumped up this morning about this passage of Scripture. Can you tell I didn't want the choir to sing, and now I'm trying to jump ahead, all right? So forgive me. But this, when you sit down and start looking at this passage of Scripture, in a world that is crying out in need because of the sin of mankind. Here's a Savior who's reaching out his hand saying, I don't want to condemn you. I want to save you. This is what this is all about. But you see, they did not understand who Jesus is. So they're trying their best to kill him, to arrest him, to get him off the scene. So here's the latter part of verse 7. When they heard these words, some of the people said, is This is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ, but some said, is the Christ to come out of Galilee? Go ahead, Steve. Has not the scripture said that the Christ is ascended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Now, where did Jesus come from? He was born where? Bethlehem. He is a descendant of who? David. He is the Christ. Verse 43. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered, Are you led astray, you also? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? You know what they're saying in verse 48? None of us. We're, we're the intelligentsia. We're the people in charge. We're not believing in this man. But the crowd who did not know the law are accursed. They're saying, the leaders, the religious leaders are saying, you're just a bunch of ignoramuses. And you, you don't know the law. You don't know the Old Testament. You're condemned. And listen to what Nicodemus pops up again in the Gospel of John. Remember John 3, the man who came to Jesus by night? Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and you will see that no prophet is to rise from Galilee. Now, why? Why mention all this? Jesus would, of course, 
have been in the temple celebrating the feast and worshiping and teaching, but the Jews and Pharisees and the chief priests are plotting to kill him, to arrest him, and to defame him. And so here's where our story begins in verse 53. And again, I hope you've got your Bible open. We're not going to put that passage of Scripture back up there. But folks, let me point out what's going on. After strong division, the people, the Jewish leaders, they leave the temple and go home. And listen to chapter 8, verse 1. What does Jesus do? Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, you know, when we first read this, we think, well, big deal. You know, who cares where he went? But folks, let me tell you why he went to the Mount of Olives. There were at least four things, four reasons that he went to the Mount of Olives. And he separated himself. He went out to pray. He went out to commune with the Father. He went out to receive more instruction from God. And you know what I think more than anything else? The Lord met with his heavenly Father to be prepared for the upcoming day. Now, let me ask you something. If you knew that people were trying to kill you, to arrest you, they were accusing you of leading people astray, of having a demon, what would you do? Probably pack up and leave town. But Jesus goes out and he prays. And folks, I want to point some scripture out. This is not the first time that Jesus did this. Let me point out Mark 135. This is such a beautiful verse. And in the morning, a great while before day, Jesus rose and went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. And listen to Luke 21, verses 37 and 38. And every day he was teaching in the temple. Now, again, look at this verse. Every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Folks, see what is going on here. With all the hate, the hostility, the rejection, even the trickery that Jesus is facing, he needed the Father's guidance. He needed the Father's love and wisdom. So Jesus separates himself and he goes out to pray. And folks, are these not good reasons for you and I to separate ourselves for a while and pray? But folks, can you and I truly imagine what our Lord faced every day? Especially now as he is headed toward the cross and he knows eventually they're going to kill him. The routine of Jesus in verse 2 of chapter 8, following his routine early in the morning, after being with the Father during the night, Jesus returns to the temple to teach people and to love them. And even though for Jesus, the temple represented a place in which he would be put in danger, Jesus goes there. And in verses 3 through 5, and before I can tell you what's happening in these verses, fast forward to the first part of verse 6. And verse 6 is the key to understanding what's going on here. In verses 3, 4, and 5, the Pharisees and scribes are going to bring this woman into the presence of Jesus. But listen to verse 6. This they said to test him that they may have some charge to bring against him. Folks, look at this. This whole story is a setup. It is a trap for Jesus. These religious folks really don't care about this woman. Their plan is to trap Jesus. And folks, let's talk very openly and candidly about this experience, okay? And, and Warren Wiersbe, one of the great Bible scholars that I love to read, said, it would seem unlikely to catch a couple in the very act of adultery. 
So the question must be what raised at this man who was never mentioned nor indicted. And have you, have you noticed this? The woman is brought, but the man is not. It takes two to commit adultery. Amen? It does. But this man is never mentioned. He's never brought before Jesus. Was this part of the scheme? And folks, listen to what the Pharisees and the scribes do in verse 3. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. Now, folks, you know, for a long time, I just thought maybe Jesus was off to the side somewhere. Maybe he had stopped to rest somewhere, and the scribes and Pharisees rushed this woman in. But, folks, listen, he is in the temple. And there's a mass, we don't know how many people are with him, but there's a mass of people that are around Jesus. And so this woman is brought not only into the presence of Jesus, but also the people in the temple. Because you see, when Jesus would be teaching in the temple, it's thought that he would be in what is called the court of the women, where all the men, women, children could gather. And folks, look at how humiliating and how degrading to this woman this had to be. Because her sin and her sinful life is paraded and announced before everyone. Again, without getting back into my own family life, I believe one of the reasons it took my mother so many years to get into church, it was because of her sinful past and me and my two brothers stood as witnesses to the life and lifestyle that she had lived. And she was afraid of the humiliation and judgment that she would have to face before others. And let me ask you something. And this is where, and I'm asking myself this. If we had been there that day, what would have been our first reaction when they brought that woman in? Let me read again Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. We've been reading this lately, haven't we? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. The measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. This is Jesus' words. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And here again, John three seventeen. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Folks, we have got to ask ourselves again, as professing Christians, as followers of Jesus, do we judge others? Do we judge others whose sins are known publicly? Do we enjoy seeing and having the sins of other people paraded around? You know, if that were not true in our society, there'd be no Jerry Springer programs on TV. And I'm not trying to drift off to the, the ugly and the nasty, okay? If, if we weren't living in a society like this, and if Satan were not tempting us in this, this direction, guess what? We'd never hear any gossip either, would we? Amen? And we'd never tell any gossip either, would we? Oh, me. Not amen. The church sign... And I asked Michelle last week to leave it up. Have you seen on this side, spread the gospel, not the gossip? And the other side says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Folks, do you see it's a setup? 
And the charges are brought against this woman in verse 4. They said, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Where is the man? And folks, there's something else. According to Jewish law, there had to be at least two witnesses to confirm the guilt of a person. And so at least two of the scribes and Pharisees were witnesses to this adultery. And again, it seems all this has been kind of schemed and put together. Now, again, the act of adultery has been committed. But it's a trap for Jesus. And listen to verse 5. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such, and what do you say about her? Now, folks, let me read that again. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such. Is this true? Look at Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, and I remind you this is the word of God, okay? Leviticus 20, verse 10, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress will be put to death. Listen to Deuteronomy 22, 22. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. Is God serious about the sin of adultery? Absolutely, yes. Are we living in a day when we should stone people for adultery? Absolutely no. If we did, Victor, uh, Victor, Victor Newman would have never made it past a couple episodes on The Young and the Restless, would he? I almost said Victor Blackwell. And Victor, <laughs> please don't tell that, okay? And Lord, here I am supposed to be serious. Forgive me. But listen to this. Give me just a couple more minutes. I know y'all... Wait and hear me here to that. They asked Jesus, what do you say about her? I, got, I want to get to a certain point, then we're going to stop and hold it the next Sunday, okay? What do you say about her? The scribes and Pharisees thought they had the perfect trap for Jesus. It is a no-win situation for Jesus, and it is a win-win situation for the Pharisees and scribes. And let me explain that. If Jesus said, yes, the woman must be stoned, then Jesus would lose his reputation as a friend of publicans and sinners. Look at these two verses, Luke 15, 1 and 2. And you remember this introduces the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And you see, the Pharisees thought that if Jesus says, Yes, the woman is to be stoned, that Jesus would be abandoned by the common people and would never accept his message of forgiveness. And if Jesus said, no, the woman should not be stoned, then Jesus would be breaking the law and subject to their arrest. They could say he's, he's teaching something outside of the scripture. And there's another point, and I, I pray that you'll think about this week, is Jesus soft on sin? Is it okay with Jesus for us to do whatever we want, including adultery, and he'll simply just forgive us? I want you to think about that, and I want you to hold on to that for next week, okay? What do you say about her? What should we do, Jesus? 
And that's when the writer says, this they said to test him. Again, the gospel writer tells us it is a test to discredit Jesus, to have him arrested, to have his minister destroyed and his life taken. What would you and I have done? You see, Jesus knows what is in the hearts, not only of the Pharisees and the scribes, but also in the heart of the woman. But look what Jesus did. This just blesses my soul. In the latter part of verse 6, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Why? Why? Why would at a time like this, Jesus would scribble on the ground? And folks, I want to point something out. This will be a forever mystery until God, the Lord Jesus, answers this question himself for us in, their, for us in heaven. But here's what the Bible scholars propose. This is a tremendous statement by Jesus here in its tremendous symbolism. And let me just give you this verse to think about, okay? Exodus 31, 18. And he gave to Moses when he had made an end of speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone. Now read with me the last six words. Written with the finger of of God. Moses is saying that God himself wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger. It's a symbolism here that Jesus knew this commandment about adultery and knew what it meant because his finger too, because he and the Father are one, had written the prohibition against adultery. And he knew what God had said. But let me just share this with you for whatever it's worth to you. As I was sitting at my desk preparing the sermon, and I cannot remember if I'd heard another preacher say this, and, and, and if it did, I want to give credit to them, not to myself, or I don't know if it was God himself speaking to my heart. I know it's dangerous when I say something like that, but God did speak to my heart. I can't prove this, but I wonder if instead of writing a word, Jesus grew a cross. Perhaps Jesus drew a cross, reminding himself that he soon would die for the sins of this woman and for those Pharisees and scribes and the man whomever he was and the entire world that our sins could be taken away. Because you see, that's what the cross is all about. Redeeming lost sinners like that woman and like you and me. And yes, Jesus knew the sins of this woman, but Jesus wanted her and the entire world to know his love. And I want to read these two verses, and I'll close, okay? Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. If you don't have these verses highlighted in your Bible, I encourage you to do it. Paul here just helps us understand what it is to be in Christ. Listen to this. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, this woman, 
according to Old Testament law, was worthy of being stoned to death because of adultery. Yes, you and I are deserving of eternity separated from God in a place that the Bible calls hell because of our sin. But guess what changes all of that? When we come to Jesus, when the blood he shed on the cross is applied to our sins, guess what? There's no more condemnation. Because you know why? God doesn't see our sins anymore. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus looked at that woman and the rest of the crowd were there condemning her, ready to throw stones. And did you see... And again, this was just a movie, The Passion, that little clip at the beginning of the message. They had the rocks. They were ready to kill her. But Jesus gave her a second chance. And he removed the condemnation for her sin. And he made her a new being. In Christ. Listen to verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and from death. Praise his holy name. Let us pray. Father, Lord, I thank you that regardless of whatever our sin is or has been, that in Christ... There's forgiveness and there's redemption and the condemnation of our sin is removed because of your son. I thank you, Father, for that woman who received new life that day and who walked away from the Savior forgiven. And Father, I thank you that you are a God who sets the standards high. But when we falter and fail, you offer a way of forgiveness, and that is through the cross of your Son. Lord, surely in a world that seems to be so bent on sinning and rebelling against God, we have got the good news to share, and I pray that we will. And Father, this morning I pray not only for those folks that might have not yet turned to you as Savior, but I pray also for we who are Christians, Father, who have sinned and are sinning against you. It might not be adultery. It might be some other sin that is driving a wedge between us. Lord, I thank you that when we repent of sin and when we confess our sin, that you love us and forgive us. And so today, Father, just as that woman found new life, I pray for those that might not yet have come to Jesus, that they'll find new life in him and that we who are Christians might find new freedom in living for you because of our sins being washed away in the blood of Jesus. Help during these moments of invitation, Lord, that we will listen to the Holy Spirit, and as you lead us, Lord, to make decisions, that we will respond to you. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.